Hello and welcome to Broadband. Here at Broadband, we live by the philosophy that one needs other human beings to teach them how to be human. Our guide for today on this journey of communal actualization is Sad Schweter, a doctor of osteopathic medicine and a movement therapist who prefers to use his hands rather than a scalpel as his healing tool of choice. I want to set the stage for this interview by shining the spotlight on three main points of focus for our dialogue. The first being Sad and his unique human journey. Next, I want to introduce you to a form of treatment to actively heal physical ailments that is at times overshadowed by our current medical industrial complex. And finally, I want to provide you, the listener, with tools to be proactive in either healing or preventing said physical ailments. Now, let's start this dialogue by learning about your early life. Who was Sad growing up as a young boy in France? Sad was a chubby little boy that didn't do any sports before the age of maybe 13. Luckily, I'm from a family where everyone is in the health field. I have some traditional Chinese medicine therapists in my family. I got pharmacists, people working in chemistry, people working as nurses, people working as specialist doctorate in like special fields. I think this is what got me hooked in the health field more than sports in general. So I turned myself towards uh, sports science university. So I uh, joined there, uh, studied in Dijon, the mustard city. So I studied there for four years. Then I created my own company to do personal training. And after that, I got an offer to come and work in Kuwait. And I really got hooked with the whole physical therapy, osteo injury prevention, rehab world. So after that, maybe two years later, I started my DO doctorate in osteopathy. And, and I'm finishing it now and starting my practice. Now, a lot of people are familiar with strength and conditioning. They know what a coach does for the most part. They, you know, they probably work as a personal trainer before. But a lot of people don't even know what an osteopath is. So what is osteopathy? So first of all, there is two kinds of osteopath. There is the American term osteopath, which is a medical doctor performing minor surgeries, which mm -hmm. I am not. And there is the Canadian and European style of osteopathy, which is what you can say manual osteopathy, which is basically hands-on treatment. So basically what osteopathy is, is that it's a way to treat the body by seeing it as a whole thing, by taking under consideration multiple things in a way that, okay, you got shoulder pain, let's look how your spine is moving, how's your digestive uh, system going, how's your stress level and everything. So when I studied, I just realized that I think Western osteopath just took Eastern and more holistic practices and trying to explain them by science. And whenever they managed to explain things by science, they just added to the scope of osteopathy. So, I mean, I, I, one, of my, one of the questions that I had coming into this is, you know, what are you spending most of your time in the sessions? And what you're saying is you look at the body as a whole and, you know, you can even support people with digestion issues and, and anxiety problem, problem, uh, problems with like uh, manipulating the body. So I do not want to keep myself, I don't want to put myself in one case of being an osteo or being a strength conditioning coach or being a rehab coach, but I see those as tools and everything as a toolbox. And in a way that you come to me and you tell me, look, I've got low back pain and I am a cyclist. How can you help me? and maintaining my training, and at the same time, get rid of my back pain. And my job is to actually find the strategy 
to treat you with hands-on treatment, to show you certain exercises where I can teach you how to, for example, change something in your lifestyle and also understand the mechanism. Because as the first question people are telling me, people that have been in pain for a while, they're like, but why? What's going on with my shoulder? What's going on with my neck? I don't understand. I've done everything. I stretch it. I, I get massage and everything, but I don't understand what's going on. And I think taking time to understand, to explain to people why they have pain and what's going on actually gives them a really, really good advantage in overcoming and not fearing the pain. So pain doesn't always equal damage. It's not because you're in pain that something is broken, something is bleeding inside. Pain is an alarm given by your nervous system telling you, hey, yo, there is something going on there. You need to check it because I sense a danger. And the problem is the nervous system can be wrong. And you know when the nervous system gets very wrong, when the nervous system is tired, when the nervous system is overworked, when you're lack of sleep, when you don't eat well, when you're highly anxious, like all those things create an environment where your nervous system, basically your danger sensor becomes dysfunctional. Okay, so I want to play devil's advocate. Can one make the claim that osteopathy and the active approach to the treatment is superior to the passive treatment that you may get from the doctor's office? I think it's better because first of all, you empower people and that's something very important. Second thing, I think it's better because you put responsibility in people's hands. Third thing, I think is better because you drag people into being more active. And that's something that's very important for general health. And the last thing is you educate people. Passive treatment is you laying on the table. And sometimes that's what you need. Like sometimes you need it. Now, only relying on that to me is just being a very incomplete treatment. It's giving you a temporary relief, just not guiding you towards something more healthy. My ultimate win with patients is someone comes to me as a very passive person. They start doing sessions with me and we start doing more and more exercises. We start implementing small habits in the lifestyle. And after a while, they realize that they're no longer patients, they're athletes. And they start working out more. They start working out better and they start being more active. And I think Mixing active treatment to passive treatment, exercises to hands-on treatment allows people to manage their pain more than being managed by their pain. And for me, this is the real game changer. That's huge. So people to manage their pain rather than be managed by their pain. That's a really cool way of phrasing it. And, and, and you know, this kind of reminds me of a recent moment that I had at the doctor's office with my mom. And I guess the question I have is, have you noticed a difference between millennials and Gen Z and baby boomers regarding how they view osteopathy or holistic treatment or active treatments versus going to the doctor and just getting that shot? That's a good question. I think like boomers generations, most physio or osteo were very, very oriented towards passive treatment. Why? Because also boomers were people that were way more active than millennials. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you like a fun fact. There is eight type of intelligence. And one of the, the intelligence is your ability to be a smart mover. And seeing that those people from the older generation develop this intelligence and the people from the new generation are dumb movers. Because as much as 
we are smart and we know about technology and everything, we move less and less. And I think that's why the job as physio, osteo or chiro has been merging with strength and conditioning coach within the past few years because there is a need. People didn't need someone to tell them to move before. Now they need someone to tell them, when was last time you reached overhead? When was last time you just tried to catch something just above your head? And some people tell you, I don't know, I don't do that. You know, I, I don't know. I'm just, you know, office, home, TV, Netflix. And this is sad. And I'm not even, I'm not talking about old people. I'm talking about young people. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is you mentioned that a lot of people were just sedentary and that was built into the culture. And th that's obviously sure the environment has something to do with it. But then the fact that we have the internet and, you know, uh, people have, you know, some change to spend on a really nice TV and a really nice setup at home. All they want to do is yeah. just kind of lounge around and just be, kind of be lazy. I, I always like to give those habits to, 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 to people to try, try to walk as much as possible because it's, to me, it's just sad that we have to tell people that we have, that we need to have an Apple watch or a Fitbit or whatsoever to tell us, great job. You've, you've, you've walked 10,000 steps. You're a human being. Hey guys, this is the part of the podcast where people usually tell you to buy this product or subscribe to this service, but we don't have any sponsors yet. So we'll sell ourselves instead. We have four simple asks. One, please subscribe if you haven't already. Two, share the podcast. Share it with your friends, share it with your family, and share it with a stranger. Start a conversation. Three, check out the show notes. You can find all the references that we've already made and are about to make on there. And four, engage with us on Instagram and email. Enjoy the rest of the show. Okay, so now that we're talking about walking, do you ever start noticing random people's like gait patterns and be like, ooh, that person, they're going to have some serious lower back problems in three to four years. Do you ever do that? So I do, and per my job, we need to you know, analyze this kind of movements. So now there is two types of things you can, there is actual pathological gait patterns. However, we like, it's a very seductive idea to think that, okay, they're going to have issues later on. However, unfortunately, the, the actual scientific, the actual science, the actual research hasn't been proving that there is anything that directly correlates gait pattern or even posture to injuries or pain. The thing is the human body, when you know a little bit about it, is such a crazy machine that have an incredible capacity of adapting to everything. So it just depends on how your body adapts. And you see people living their entire life with a very awkward posture, never getting in pain. You see people having super rounded shoulders, being all curved, looking like a cashew, never having any kind of pain. This is currently a, a very big subject of research for all physical therapy and, and sports science field. There's a lot of research going on. There is a lot of theories. There is a lot of people treating it. And I think this is really good because I don't want to say there is a factor. I don't want to say if you walk in a weird way, you're going to get injured. I personally believe it has its importance. Now, um, saying that it's the cause that walking a certain way or, or standing a certain way would be the one and only cause of your pain, I don't think so. Interesting. So one that's mind-blowing, right? I mean, I would think that they've done enough research to at least find a correlation between poor posture and physical ailments. But so that's mind-blowing that there isn't a correlation or they haven't yet found a correlation. So the, having a poor posture or walking a certain way would create eventually imbalances in your body in a way that certain muscles would, would be overworked compared to the others. Mm -hmm. And this eventually, eventually 
might lead to certain pain. But there is no direct cause. Now, again, it's really, once you go in that field, it's a really, really, really deep field. And like, if you want to talk about posture, I just wanted to mention, technically, there is no poor posture or right posture. Because if I tell you now to stand up straight with a straight back, without moving, with your neck perfectly in line and your eyes going 90 degrees and to just sit like that till the end of the podcast, I can guarantee you, you're going to have back pain at the end of the podcast. And actually, I think instead of, and really one of the messages I want to I want to tell people is instead of looking at how you sit, how you stand, just look at the real problem is not the way you sit or the way you stand, but the fact that you're sitting, that you're being passive, that you're, you're being inactive. The real problem is a lack of movement. It's not the way people are trying to find, you know, oh, look, if you sit that way or if you sleep with that pillow or if you put that under your back when you sit or when you sleep, you're going to be fine. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. I'm really sorry. That's a good wake up call. And that's a really good one liner that you came up with again. You're like, it's not the fact that you have poor posture while you're sitting. It's the fact that you're sitting. They say sitting is the new smoking. 50% of people would be out of pain just by I think walking at least 10,000 steps a day takes also time. Like people should understand that it takes a little bit of practice and a bit of discomfort because if for 10, 15 years, you haven't been doing more than 3,000 steps per day, going to 10,000 steps per day will be a challenge for you. Yes, it will be tiring. It will be challenging. You will feel tightness. So what is something that you can say to someone who is actually trying to change, trying to move more, but is feeling that tightness? I would honestly advise people to try to take it step by step. Don't try to throw yourself in those like high intensity interval training that promise you to lose, to burn, whatever fat you can have. Just try to learn things. And I think this is one of the big problems in our field is there is way too much marketing and not enough teaching in a way that if you really want to get fit, you should learn something. Like if you want to get into Pilates, learn Pilates, like be good at it. Don't try to just say, oh, I want to work on my core because I want to have a six pack. Take it in a way that I want to master the poses. Do the same with yoga. Do the same with running. Don't run because you want to burn the apple pie you had. Run because you want to be a better runner. You want to increase your stamina. You want to have a better shape. You want to be more performant. And that kind of feeds into, I guess, the philosophy that I started, the introduction with in Ubuntu, right? And that's the idea that for me to be human, I need to learn from other humans exactly how to be, right? So, I mean, if you want to be a master of Pilates, you need to find that community of masters of Pilates or, or other people that aspire to be masters of Pilates and learn as an individual and as a group. So that's something that, that I guess a person like me that, that likes to do things his own way and likes to do things on his own is something that I didn't really learn growing up, but you just kind of offered me a paradigm shift. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's also more empowering, more motivating to reach out to group. And for the long term, you get more hooked. You no longer say, yeah, just go to the gym and I just try to burn calories. But no, I'm learning a craft. I'm learning a new skill. I'm becoming better at something. Right. You mentioned something a little bit earlier about not wanting to be industrialist in the fitness world. Do sports clinics and fitness centers currently see clients as paychecks? I don't want to generalize. I think some do. Experience. Some clinics, some professionals do. Unfortunately, the majority are like that. 
And I understand why. Because when you start off as a young coach or a young therapist, you're always afraid that you might not have enough, I would say, clients or patients to actually make a living. And I kind of understand why people are trying to do as much as possible and try to get as many people as possible. Because we are being sold the idea that you need a certain amount of people that comes for you to make a decent living. Now, that's the thing I always try to tell to my friends that are in the same field or fresh grads from sports science. Don't try to have as many clients as possible. Try to be extremely good at what you're doing. And if you're good at what you're doing, people are going to look for you. And as long as there is people that have back pain, you will have a potential clientele. You don't need to try to oversell to people. You don't need to try to retain people. I guess that's something that we take for granted is now, like you you said earlier, is people just want to find their financial freedom. But in that pursuit of financial freedom, in this pursuit for money, they forget about the humans that they interact with throughout the way, and they can learn from what the journey and the community they can build. You mentioned earlier that osteopathy, the way you described osteopathy as kind of the bridge between the Western and the holistic, you know, the Western and the East. So if if you don't mind, I want to play a game with you. And essentially in this game, I want you to say sold or not sold on whether you buy this treatment as viable and why. So we'll start with a traditional Chinese reflexology. And for those of you who are not familiar, uh, this is the practice of mapping all the organs and joints in the human body on the soles of your feet. And certain parts of your feet will be massaged to relieve pressure on said joints or organs when necessary. So traditional Chinese reflexology, sold, not sold, not sold. Whoa. So, I mean, you just mentioned earlier how, you know, the human body is all connected. So if you have shoulder pain, it could stem from your knee. I'm not saying they're doing anything bad. I'm not saying it's not accurate. I'm really not a specialist in that. But what I'm saying is, why would you specifically work only on the foot if someone comes to you with whatever it is, shoulder pain or neck pain? Or I'm not saying you shouldn't. I think there is probably a whole philosophy behind it. But I know that traditional Chinese medicine work in the entire body and like putting yourself in one case where you just work on the soul is, I think, very limiting. Okay, so the other one, the Arabic traditional treatment of wet cupping. And again, for those of you who are not familiar, this is the practice where small incisions are made and suction cups are placed on top of these incisions to detox the patient from, quote unquote, bad blood. So sold, not sold. I would be sold because it's a great tool. I am not sold because unfortunately the Arabic culture has built huge mysticism around it that takes away the scientific and actual benefits of it. So first of all, I'm actually certified as a cupping therapist, and I'm going to explain the entire thing. I think the, the term hijama doesn't mean necessarily blood or anything related to blood, but means suction. And it's the, the fact of using those cups. So systematically doing incision and taking blood, I think is a mistake. Now, I think there is a huge mysticism that has been built around this fact of taking blood out of your body to the extent that I have seen people trying to take as much blood as possible out of your body and like relating that to a form of success in treatment, which is completely wrong. I've seen people coming with scars after doing, you know, hijama sessions, which is completely wrong because you should only poke the skin with a surgical blade just mildly like touch the skin, damage the skin, and actually putting the cup on and stretching the skin 
my takeaway some drops of blood. Well, so now, what's the idea behind behind doing that entire process? So the the problem is the Islamic uh, civilization never had any writing or any actual philosophy behind it. There is just basically a hadith from the Prophet saying you shall you should use cups to treat yourself. This is a really good treatment, and that's a really good tool. Now the only ones that have actual philosophy and actual science behind it are the traditional Chinese medicine, where they basically. Explain that in that way. You have three types of cups. You have the wet cup, which is with incisions. You have the dry cup, where you put, but you do not do incisions. And you have the moving cup, where you put oil in the body, put the cup on, and move the cup. So the three of them have different outcomes. They are used in different kind of treatments and for different kind of pathologies. Now, I think the way Arabic culture is bringing it is very reductive, unfortunately, because I think there is a whole science behind it, a whole philosophy. I think there is an amazing scope of research that is to be done and that is, I think, currently being done by certain scientists in the world. And, and to give an advice to people that are seeking this kind of treatment, I tell people, like, cups are a tool. Needles, acupuncture needles are a tool. Hands are a tool. Exercises are a tool. Now, I highly recommend people not to look for a certain type of treatment. But for example, if you have shoulder pain, don't say, I want to do cupping treatment. Say, I want to go to someone who's really good with shoulders because ultimately he would know what kind of tools using. But you don't go to a restaurant and say, I want steam things only, you know? Because, you know, the chef spends time to build a menu and to use different tools, you know, you know different type of, of, of cooking things and different ingredients and, and spices for you to enjoy an actual really good meal. That's the same thing. Well, you specifically don't do that in France because you will get kicked out of that restaurant. All right. So what's an important message that you want our audience to take away from our discussion? I really advise people and I really recommend to start doing more community physical activity. Try to go for a walk on the beach. I know there is groups now that are doing like outdoor training and stuff like that. I know there is groups that are cleaning the beach and everything. Try to do things with your family as well. I, I'm always really happy when I see, you know, some of my friends that are like taking their parents, their father, the mother, and just going for a walk, just like a half an hour, 45 minute walk with the family. Other than that, in terms of like reaching out professionals, I think whenever you have a problem, it's nowadays it's pretty easy to reach out on professionals. And there is tremendous amount of therapists, tremendous amount of clinics. Now, what I would advise people is try to reach out for someone that doesn't only make you dependent. If you go to someone and he just tells you, I'm going to crack your back and crack your neck, you have to come back four times a week to do that. And then just passive treatment. I would tell you, you might just question the guy. Just aim for someone that will lead you to active treatment, to do more exercises, and also understand that it's your right to ask questions and to ask your different options. And in that way, you would definitely be able to highlight whoever is actually putting on a, an, an interesting strategy or not. Phenomenal. And as always, our audience can reach out to us to get in touch with Sad Schweitzer. Sad, thank you so much for joining and thank you so much for adding to our communal growth. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me and I hope to talk to you soon. We really do appreciate having you on the show and for you to share your voice, your opinions and your, your aspirations. So thank you. 
This podcast would not be possible without your support. So please subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends and family, check out the show notes for any references made, and engage with us on Instagram and email. Thank you. Thank you.